Welcome back to your home inspector training. I am Garth Haslam, the home medic, talking about windows today. As a very experienced home inspector, you know, my first thought as I was prepping for this is, well, you know, let's just make sure that they understand that you got to open and close and lock those windows and they're not busted. You know, this could be a first thought that seemed like a 30-second sort of a training. And that is, of course, you know, if there's an 80-20 rule that applies to inspecting windows, that's it. A primary factor is you do need to make sure that they are functional. But as I started to do my usual sets of bullet points, it does become clear that there is a good deal more information than that that you'll need to be aware of. We're going to cover that. Basically, we're going to talk about the number of panes, the security, the sizing, special inspection points as relates to basement windows, looking for weep holes, and the type of window. We're going to talk about whether they're double-hung, single-hung, casement, sliding windows, awning windows, or fixed windows, and what the inspection points are with each, the difference, and when a particular window might indicate perhaps a safety or security problem. We're going to talk about the different kinds of windows, whether you got, for example, wood, metal, or vinyl, and what those materials might mean as, as relates to your inspection. We're going to talk about different sorts of failure modes, and that might be, you know, fogging or difficulty, etc. We've got a list there. We're going to cover skylights, and then we're going to talk about how you would do an energy audit. And the last one, of course, energy audits are not typically part of a home inspection, but we're giving you some background so that at least you can talk about that. If you decide to do that yourself, that's great. But this is the kind of information we're going to cover in a segment that at first seemed like there wasn't going to be much to it. We'll go ahead and get started. First thing I want to talk about is the, the double-pane windows. Now, I am old enough to have survived the 1970s. Trust me, if you weren't alive during the 70s, count your lucky stars because we had a bazillion bad ideas during the 70s. That's when asbestos uh, started to be used. I can't tell you how many homes I've inspected where they had, for example, purple carpet going up the wall around a bathtub. It was just an ugly decade. So one of the very few good ideas that happened in the 70s is, you know, we had what was called the energy crisis. We were all quite certain that there was no more energy left on Earth and that the sky was falling and we were all about to die. So... One of the positive things that happened during the 70s is we started looking at our homes and saying, all right, how do we make our home a little bit more energy efficient so that when we're heating our home with a candle, that candle is going to keep the home as warm as possible. Bottom line, I want to say somebody wanted to go with a double pane window. It didn't immediately start out that way. People started actually adding to their existing single pane window another single pane window. And, of course, that's not the same thing as a double-pane window. Two singles are never the same as a double-pane window. But as a result of people starting to do a second single-pane window in their window opening in the frame, the double-pane window came out. Now, that creates an inspection point for you. At this point in time, if a home still has a single-pane window, and again, you've got to always do a balancing act. If the home was built in 1960, for example, it very well could still have single-pane windows. It's hard to actually say that a remaining single-pane window is a deficiency, but you can always turn to the clients 
and say basically, hey, you know, this window is going to be inefficient at best. And it would be a good idea if you were to replace that single pane window with a double pane. That's the low end on it. The higher end description would be more like, uh, hey, this is just outdated and past its time. Maybe you call that a medium priority deficiency to replace those single pane windows. Again, this is a judgment call for you is, you know, what shade of gray you're going to use to paint that window. You need to take a look at the window to make sure that it is a double pane window. Make sure they're both there. I have seen on various occasions where, for example, the inside or the outside of a double pane window cracked. And rather than replace that window, they took a little hammer or whatever and they actually removed all of that pane that they could do. So it looks like that there's no issues there when what really happened is you have a single pane window and then the other one that, like I say, used to be there is now chipped out to the extent possible. This is a problem for a number of reasons. One is that uh, what was installed is no longer there, so that by itself is a deficiency. Secondly is you're going to have all these little glass shards all the way around the frame and any child could easily cut themselves, or for that matter, any adult could easily cut themselves on those little glass shards. So that needs to be noticed and written up. Kind of thing you're going to want to pay attention to as you're taking a look at windows. One thing you can do as part of your inspection to verify that you actually do have both windows there, sometimes you can just take a look at it and see if, if you got the right light. If it's not obvious, I can just put my hand up to the window and see that there's a couple of images there. If you want to go with a lighter, for example, you do that, the lighter will reflect off of both panes, and then you'll have two images there. You know you got a double pane window that's there and in good shape. That's inspection point number one. Number two is uh, you want to make sure that everything about this window is secure. I was just reading the paper actually now I think it was a TV show just barely where somebody was talking about hey it doesn't make any sense to have a secure door and think that you're safe when your windows don't lock. That is a key item as part of your inspection. You want to make sure that those locks actually do work. They're functional. And part of what functionality means is that not only are they capable of locking, but they are easily enough locked so that anybody can do it, including maybe a five-year-old, assuming that he or she is tall enough to do it. It needs to be easily done. If you're a sumo wrestler or if you have to be a sumo wrestler in order to get the window locked, that lock is not functional. Sizing is another item that's going to take a little bit of judgment. Now, I told you that I survived through the 1970s. I was raised in a home that was built in 1959, and I was raised in the basement of this house. The bedroom that I grew up in, fairly sizable, it had three different windows. They were all awning windows. And basically, an awning window is one that hinges from the top or the bottom. In this case, it actually hinged from the top. So here I was, I was like four foot nothing, and it's an eight foot ceiling. The hinge from the top is located about seven feet, I don't know, nine inches. And I couldn't get to the hinge at all, let alone open up these rusted windows. 
And even if I could, the window only came down about a foot. So there was pretty much no way that I was going to be able to escape in a fire. Now, let's say that you're inspecting that window. And you're looking at that and you're thinking, okay, we've got kids in here. There is no way that a child could escape through a window like that. And by current code, all bedrooms need to be escapable in the event of a fire. Do current building standards apply to this 1959 home? The obvious answer is no. So now you get into the gray zone again. Now you can educate rather than write up as deficiency. And again, you know, something like this, you might say, well, it's unsafe. So this is going to come back to your judgment as to how you flavor this particular issue. You should definitely make it clear to the client that this is not going to be a safe bedroom in the event of a fire. They should know that. Now, if something like this were to have been constructed maybe in a home built yesterday, that becomes a high-priority safety issue that cannot be tolerated and needs to be redone. If it's in a home that was built in 1940, 1950, something like that, it becomes less of an issue simply because, again, if the buyer wants to have a new house, they should go buy one. All that being said, they need to have this put on their radar that that is something that is important, a safety factor that may affect their family. Weep holes, I want to cover generally what weep holes are. Let's say that you have a window that is in maybe the bathroom. Maybe you've got a window in the shower environment. So as Uncle John is showering, let's say that he's six foot four and your shower head is, you know, maybe six foot two. So he's splashing all over the place. And he's going to be splashing that window. The water is going to run down the window, it's going to run into the window frame, and it's going to just pool there unless there is a weep hole. There should be a couple of weep holes, actually. Those weep holes will drain to the exterior. They will run water down the exterior of the home, just as if that was rainwater. So one of your inspection points is going to be to actually make sure that there are weep holes at the base of the window frame, on the exterior, at any window that could collect water. And that water could be from, like I say, a shower sort of an environment, or it could be from a rainstorm sort of environment. You're going to want to make sure that you've got those at the windows that do have that sort of a condition. Those are generally, uh, I'm going to say, about a sixteenth of an inch tall by about a little over half of an inch wide just based on memory, and you're going to want to look for those. Quite often, they will be there, but they'll be plugged up from dirt and crud that's built up over the years, and I've seen where a properly installed window actually still ponds water, and then as you get water into that frame where it doesn't drain out the wheat pole, it ended up draining into the wall, and then it caused a rot mold termite problem. So these are the kind of things you're going to want to look for is just to make sure that that wheat pole looks okay and that we don't have 10 tons of dirt and mud and debris inside the frame. Similarly, I saw where a sliding glass door frame was full of water to the point that it was overflowing inside the house. It was actually getting carpet wet, and this was a bacon house but it had kept that carpet wet long enough to actually have a two-inch plant growing inside the carpet. You can only imagine how long that carpet had to be wet for this plant to be growing. 
So again, uh, you see that sort of thing, it's not okay, it needs to be written up. You need to make sure that if you've got a window frame, or for that matter, a door frame, it needs to weep to the exterior. Sometimes I've even seen where a well-meaning installer who didn't know what he was doing, he runs that weep hole to the inside of the house. And then, of course, as that happens, then all that water that should be escaping just becomes a source for a mold and termite factory. So, again, another item, you want to make sure that you identify that weep hole. Make sure you know where it is, that it's in good shape, that it's capable of doing what it needs to do. Let's move on to the types of windows. You've got your uh, double hung and you know the single hung, the casement, etc. Let's start with double hung windows. Now, what those are is windows that will move vertically, and they will actually be two sashes. Now, sashes are the window itself that moves within the frame. You'll have both the top and the bottom sash that can actually move, and for the window to be secure, you've got to have those top and bottom in their proper position so that you can lock those. Inspection points are the obvious ones. You want to make sure that we don't have any fogging between the panes. If you've got that sort of thing, now what's happened is the windows, when they started out, they used to have argon between the panes, which doesn't allow any humidity. And over time, the seal has been lost. Now you've got air in there. And with air comes humidity, which condenses on the inside of the panes. Then you've got the fog. Then you've got the lost ability for the window to do its job. So there is no easy fix for a fogged window. It just has to be replaced. If you got the fogging, that's one of the inspection points for any double pane window. It needs to be written up, and of course it's on the low end of the scale. A fogged window is not nearly as big a deal as a contaminated meth home or a damaged roof or an affected structure, but it's something to write up. Okay, so you want to make sure that you've got a functional double-hung window. Those windows need to move, they need to be able to slide, open, close, shut, etc., those, those sorts of things. And again, they need to be able to do so easily by pretty much anybody. If you've got a, a window that, again, takes the sumo wrestler, that is not a window that passes your inspection. Single-hung window is, at least in my area, it's a lot more common. That's where you've got only one sash that moves, and your inspection points for that are going to be security and the weep holes and the exterior seal. You're going to want to look on the exterior to make sure that you don't have potential air gaps. If you're getting air blowing even into the walls or all the way through the structure, that's obviously going to be a lot of loss of heating and cooling, and that's going to make the home a lot less comfortable. Also, it can be a pathway for wasps or critters of whatever sort to get into the house, and uh, that needs to be something that you notice. So security, basically, again, it means that reasonably sized individual with reasonable capabilities can lock that thing. Maybe we've got grandma in there. She's 80 years old. If she can't lock that window, then it's not functional, and you need to write it up that way. Casement windows... You know, I had a buddy that used to really like those, and I'm not quite sure why, but those are the ones with the cranks on them. And my experience is that those cranks get lost and then you have to go hunting. Obviously, it's a lot more difficult for a crank window to be escaped quickly because if you've got a fire and you're trying to get out now, A, the crank 
handle might not be around. B, it takes forever. So if you see a casement window located in a bedroom, you're probably going to want to bring that up. And again, to me, it doesn't really matter whether it meets code or not because we're not code inspectors. What it does not meet is reality. And you're going to want to bring that up to your clients as a potential fire safety issue. Again, that's regardless of code. So, you know, when we talk about that on my website, if you're contributing to that, that's my position. Now, moving on, we have the sliding windows. These are the ones where the sash moves horizontally. And you're going to have the wheat poles in those you're going to want to be taking a look at. Again, you're going to want to make sure that they open and close and lock. The story comes to mind to just break out of being a dictionary for a minute. I uh, was an engineering student back in the 80s, and uh, one of my professors was a structural engineering professor, of course. Turned out a couple of years after I graduated, I guess it was more like 10 or 12, I had gotten into home inspections, and I was actually called out to inspect his house. He, of course, didn't think much of me, and I didn't think much of him. thought he was the world's most boring professor. I could tell that he was delivering his lecture without even thinking about what he was saying because he'd done it so many times. He, of course, didn't think I was much of a structural engineering student. Let's just say that when I walked up to his door, he didn't appreciate the fact that I was inspecting anything associated with him. He had, as a part of the preparation for the inspection, he thought it was about cleanliness. And he had actually gone through his windows, and he had the sliding windows, and he had cleaned every one of those things out all the way down to the level of what you would do with a Q-tip. His windows would glide like clouds over nothing. That being said, (laughs) I found some issues with the electrical in his home. He had prepared the wrong way. He thought it was about cleanliness, and I knew differently. I had a good time writing up the issues that were associated with his home, and I could tell he was just short of livid that I was able to successfully write up problems with his home. In any case, at least his windows were exceptionally clean. I don't want to know how many Q-tips he used to clean the frame of those windows. You will find those sorts of individuals as you do inspections. Generally, you're going to want to make sure that when you can, that the seller is either gone or that at least he's out of your hair, especially if you've got clients there. If you've got a hovering seller, they're going to get in the way. They're going to defend. They're going to do a lot of annoying things. You need to gently disinvite them. It actually came down once to the point that I had to basically tell him that it was him or me that was leaving. Well, I could go on, but those will be stories for another day. Let's just say that I won. Okay, going back to windows, we've got the sliding windows that we talked about, and then you've got an awning window. Now, these are very much a specialty and not usually a good idea. These are the ones that are hinged vertically. I talked about how I grew up in a bedroom built in 1959 where you had an awning window and it was hinged vertically. Those things are impossible to get out of in the event of a fire. There's just not a lot of good use for an awning window. Finally, you have the fixed window, and of course, those are very popular, and I'm sure they always will be. There's no movement to the window. There's no opening and shutting. There's no locking. There's just a big old window right there that doesn't go anywhere. 
there are still inspection points for this fixed window. And the inspection points, of course, would be the frame around the exterior of that window to make sure that that's sealed and to make sure we don't have any cracks, make sure we actually do have two panes there, etc. Okay, so let's talk about the uh, types of materials that can be used in a window frame. You've got the wood and metal and vinyl. Wood back in the day was considered to be the awesomest, and that quickly turned out not to be the case. It was certainly expensive, but wood being the natural material that it is, over time it's going to crack, and then you're going to lose the insulative seal, and then it's just time to replace the wood window frame with something that's a little better. As of the time that I'm recording this, better is vinyl. Then you've got your metal windows. In most cases, that's going to be an aluminum window. Those were done back in the day, you know, the 60s and 70s, etc., and you still see them today. Thankfully, they are less and less found in homes. The aluminum window, especially in a humid environment, for example, right above the kitchen sink, I have seen where an aluminum window condenses moisture and then that moisture runs down and it actually causes rot and mold on the base of the window, on the left and right side of the corners of that window. Where you see that, of course, yes, that is mold, and yes, your client is going to be very much concerned about that mold, and you bet you need to write it up. Now, to some extent, as long as there is an aluminum window there, things aren't going to change. Uh, you could clean up the mold, you could replace the sheetrock, you could do whatever needs to be done, you could disinvite the termites if they're there, but on uh, the day after the project is complete, if you still have an aluminum window there, it's still going to continue the same processes that, are, that has been happening for the last number of decades. So the only permanent fix is to replace that window. Now, the next question is, does the fact that there is a small mold or rot history, is that justification for replacing the window? And again, it's going to depend. There are going to be some factors, for example, how nice is the home, how old is the rest of the home. You know, if the rest of the home has a bazillion issues that are higher priority, you always are going to want to put this on the list. But whether you can rise to the point of saying, okay, this window is aluminum, therefore that's an efficiency and it needs to be replaced, that's a bit harsh, but you're just going to have to do that dance. This is the art and style of being a home inspector. A lot depends, again, on whether every other home in the neighborhood or the city or the state that you're working in also has aluminum. Like I say, judgment call. Okay, and then finally, you've got uh, the vinyl windows. These are the better windows. They tend to last much longer. They don't cause the humidity and mold problems. They're just good stuff. So... Now you are able to discuss the differences and the strengths and the weaknesses of the different sorts of window frame materials. You get the wood, the metal, and the vinyl, and vinyl's best. All right, other inspection points for any window. We've talked about fogging. Again, the concept with fogging is that a double-pane window starts off with argon. When you lose that seal, the fog happens and there is no way to get rid of that fog. You just got to replace the window or deal with it. Now, I have people ask me, you know, they say, the fog doesn't bother me. I don't mind the loss of visibility through the windows, but is there another 
deficiency associated with a fogged window? My answer is no. Yeah, usually there are higher priorities in a home that you'll inspect. Maybe you'll find roof issues. Maybe there will be mold or termites. There might be asbestos. Maybe there's electrical issues. Many home buyers will get that a fogged window is down the list. And yeah, other than a slight loss in efficiency between argon and air, and that's going to be minimal. The only cost associated with a fogged window is that there's fog. So you'll want to pass that information along to the clients. And obviously, it's best to do that with them standing there next to you so that you know that they understand. Difficulty in opening and closing and, and locking the door. Again, this is another reason why it's very nice to have the client right there. You can ask maybe the wife. You know, maybe the husband weighs 225, and he can pretty much open and shut anything. If the wife weighs half of that, sometimes you'll get where the base of the window is dirty or whatever. There's installation issues. If she can't open and close that, then that's something you write up. And the best way to illustrate that to them is to actually have her open and close and lock the window after you do it. That is much better. You know, if a picture is worth a thousand words, then a show and tell is worth a million words. You'll want to make sure that you do that. If she basically gives up and says she can't do it, now she understands very completely what you are going to be trying to write up, what you're trying to communicate in the report that you do. You're going to want to look at the tracks and the seals and the cranks and the locks. Again, if you've got plants growing in those tracks, and I've seen that on a variety of occasions, that's going to be something that you're going to want to be writing up as well. If you've got cranks, they need to actually open and close, and they need to reseal. Quite often on those casement windows where you got the cranks, it will kind of sort of open up, and when you try to close it, it will get most of the way there, and then you've got to do something crazy to try and get it to actually close to the point that you can lock it. When you have those sorts of things happen, you want to point that out to the buyers, and then you're going to want to put that in. Obviously, any window that doesn't lock and is not secure is a direct pathway in for burglars and is going to be a high-priority safety issue. Broken glass, gaps... You want to make sure you pay attention to all those. Dual panes, again, if you've got a damaged seal, that's going to be another one of those fogging things. Now, screens are an interesting subject, and here's why. For me, a screen is about keeping bugs out and you know allowing air to come in without having critters come in at the same time. For me, it is not a part of the functionality of a window. For a lot of the homeowners or home buyers that I run into, for them it's an important issue that the screen actually be there. My thought process is that the screen is there or if it's not there, either way the window is functional and so I will hesitate to write up a screen that's not there. Obviously it's not required per code or per building standards, so you'll have to decide how you feel about that as well. Obviously, if I have a client that asks me to write up the absence of a screen, I will do so at least as a note so that at least I'm not ignoring their request. Here's the next thing. 
If having or not having a screen is not a deficiency, what if it's there and it's damaged? This goes back to another one of my rules associated with home inspections, which is that if something is there, it needs to be functional. And so for me, if there's no screen, again, that's not necessarily a deficiency. If there is a screen and it's damaged, that's something that I will make a note of just to prove that I saw it. Again, in many cases, this goes back to just proving that you did see something. Otherwise, you know, if you don't, you're going to get that 3 a.m. phone call. You missed this and this. Therefore, we don't think you really did a good job. And, and now we don't trust your opinion on anything at all. And and what about this little crazy thing in the corner and, you know, stuff like that. Again, another good reason to have the client there so that you can see crazy things in the corner but to some extent, at least half of what you're inspecting for is documentation to protect your own butt years or even weeks down the road as the client starts seeing things and then asking questions at that point in time. Briefly, I want to hit skylights. It does fall into the category of windows. Skylights, when you see one of those, the first thing is you should have a pit in your stomach. Uh, skylights pretty much always leak. Now, the newer ones, you know, they do better, and it's all about the flashing on the top side, and quite often you can't see whether there's flashing around it. But, you know, flashing is the sheet metal that forces water on the roof to go exactly where you want it to go. If you've got flashing up there, that's great. The flashing needs to not have seams. It needs to force water to go around the skylights, but again, quite often you can't see that. So you're going to want to look carefully at the exterior and interior of the skylight to make sure there's no sign of anything going on that's crazy. If they tried to seal on the exterior with, for example, roofing tar, that will work great on day one, and then that seal may or may not work on day two or year two or year ten as it starts to bake and crack and fail. So those are things you're going to want to look for on skylights. Look for streaks or signs of water on the inside if you've got rotting, anything like that. Check the top side for ponding. If you've got seams, if you've got debris, basically if it doesn't look outstanding, you've got a problem. In my case, I just did an inspection a couple of days ago where I had a skylight and I couldn't actually see where there was water, but the seller had put on the disclosure that there was a water history and in that particular case you want to just verify that you know for example if there was a disclosure of a water history you want to see what they did to make sure that that history is now historical rather than an ongoing issue i got up there and it didn't look like there had been anything that was changed in the last number of years so we wrote it up that way that the history wasn't a history it was an ongoing issue Skylights, you're going to want to do, just like all these other subjects, you're going to want to do more of your own homework to make sure that you understand all the issues with skylights in your area and be up to speed on that. In addition to being a home inspector, you want to get into the business of doing energy audits. A part of that energy audit is going to be about the seals around the doors and windows. So one way to do that, and the reason why I'm providing that in this section, is that even though you may not actually, you know, chances are 90% you're not going to get into the energy audit business. I am not in that business. 
still, though, you want to be able to converse on the subject with your clients. So here it goes. In an energy audit, part of that would be to close the doors and windows, get them theoretically sealed, and at that point, you turn on all vents to the exterior. That would include maybe the bathroom fans, maybe the clothes dryer is going to be exhausting, whatever else you've got that vents to the exterior so that you're creating a vacuum inside the home. And now again, the doors and windows are closed. At that point, with all the air leaving the home that can leave, you can try incense. Now, if the home was built, I'm going to say more recently than the 80s, you will have a combustion air source. And usually, I was going to say in the basement, but not all homes have basements. It will be near the furnace and water heater. If those are in different locations, you should have combustion air sources for both. If you've got a high-efficiency furnace, it will provide its own combustion air. But bottom line is you need to find that combustion air as well. It's going to be the easy pathway for air to enter and leave the home. You will want to temporarily seal that up as well so that you can do a better inspection on the doors and windows and other air entry sources. Make sure you get that unsealed as soon as you leave because that combustion air source needs to be there and functional. If you leave that sealed and walk away, the lawyers may be calling you later on. So with all of those items sealed up, things closed, now you've got air trying to leave and you're going to want to burn an incense stick. You can see where air is blowing into the home using the smoke from that incense stick. Fairly easy to see. Nice, inexpensive, straightforward method of performing that part of the energy audit that will be helpful for you. You know, and with that much information, you can also provide that same information to your client so that they can do their own energy audit if they decide to do so. All right, let's just review. What we have talked about is the types of windows, the kinds of windows, the inspection points for windows, the materials for windows, and we've covered skylights in the energy audit as well. Single pane windows, double pane, security issues, definitely high on your list of things to look for any window inspection. Sizing, and again, any window in a bedroom needs to be escapable, so you're going to want to pay attention to that. And this may or may not to you fit into the category of windows, but if you've got a basement window and it serves a bedroom, as part of the escapability, there needs to be a ladder or a way, an easy way out for a small-sized individual to actually get out of that window well. If that's a five-foot or six-foot deep window well and you've got a 10-year-old kid in there, he may not be able to do that without the ladder. Basement windows, we talked about that. We talked about weep holes and uh, what it can mean if those are plugged or not there or if the window is hung backwards. Those are the kind of things you're going to want to be paying attention to as part of your inspection. Single hung and double hung windows. Two windows versus one that actually move vertically. Casement windows are the ones with the crank. And we talked about how that's going to be dicey if somebody's using a casement window in a bedroom. Sliding windows, awning windows, fixed windows. And, you know, for me, it's not important that you actually document what kind of window you have in any particular room. If you want to do so, that's great. But for me, it's about the deficiencies. 
Similarly, if you got a wood or a metal or a vinyl window, you want to be conversant with the characteristics associated with each. And you want to be able to tell them why a vinyl window is better than either wood or metal. Inspection points include fogging, difficulty in moving or locking, looking at the tracks and seals and cranks and locks to make sure they're all functional, looking for broken glass or glass that's been removed ruggedly or otherwise, gaps. If you got the dual pane, you want to look at the seal and then, of course, the discussion associated with screens associated with windows. We talked about skylights in the energy audit. A good deal of information associated with windows. So, more information, homemedicusa.com. Treat your clients exceptionally well. Go out there, make me proud.